Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Few professions have earned as low approval ratings as lawyers. In Gallup polling on the public's perceptions of professions ethics, lawyers are underwater alongside journalists, business executives, and non-federal politicians. But despite the public's relatively low opinion of the profession, the trial bar maintains a massive lawsuit lobby that supports the vast infrastructure of litigation and lawyers' fees that is a part of American economic life. Joining me to discuss the lawsuit lobby are my colleague and today's co-host, Sarah Lee, and my colleague, Robert Stilson, whose four-part series on the lawsuit lobby is available at capitalresearch.org. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Hey, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. So, Robert, introduce us. What is the lawsuit lobby? Yeah, sure. Like, So when we talk about the lawsuit lobby, we're talking about plaintiff-side civil litigators. So that we're not, it's not criminal. These are, these are lawsuits filed um, in civil court. And when we talk about the lawsuit lobby specifically, we're talking about the special interests that promote the professional interests, you might say, of those civil litigators. So specifically, that refers primarily to a group called the American Association for Justice, which is a 501c6 nonprofit professional association that you know, promotes professional development among trial lawyers, uh, promotes the public image of trial lawyers. And then probably most interestingly for our purposes, it promotes the um, uh, political interests of, of trial lawyers through lobbying and through campaign contributions, of course, as well. And when you and when you mentioned that it promotes the interests of trial lawyers, am, am I correct in recalling that the organization used to be called the American Trial Lawyers Association? That's right. That was a pre two thousand six. That was the name of the organization. <clears throat> and then in two thousand six, and you, and you can go on the internet and still find sort of the internal memo that was explaining this decision to change its name. It changed its name to the American Association for Justice, and, and you can read the justification and. What it really boils down to was the group didn't want to be seen as a special interest for trial lawyers, even though that's exactly, you know, what they are. They didn't like that image being out there. And so they changed their name to the American Association for Justice. And frankly, I, I don't think most people, if you said that name to them, I don't think most people would say or trial lawyers wouldn't jump to the, the tip of the tongue if you heard that name. Mm-hmm. So. I guess before we get into how the lawsuit lobby wants to change or influence how uh, litigation works and the position and revenues of trial lawyers as an industry, how does large-scale litigation work? How is it structured? Yeah. You know, when we're talking about large-scale litigation, probably the main two things to think about, really most people are familiar with class actions, right? And we all understand why class actions are important because if you've got a defendant who's accused of causing $40 million in harm to one plaintiff, we understand the incentive and the ability to sue that defendant for $40 million. But what if you've got a defendant that's accused of causing $40 worth of damage to a million different plaintiffs? the incentive is not there for each one of those individuals to sue. So we have the class action system to combine those lawsuits into one and, um, and and take care of them in in court. 
And there, there are other ways to do it, like in, in cases where the harm's not quite identical, uh, you have mass tort situations, multi-district litigation situations. But I think the one that most people are familiar with is class actions. And that, that's certainly in the consumer context specifically, the one that gets a lot of critical attention. So, uh, Sarah, just bring you in here. Uh, you've written a little on consumer class actions? A little bit, yeah. So this was a little um, – well, first of all, I want to I set a little bit of a, some background on this, on this issue in general. It, it's kind of interesting to me. I think people have always kind of associated the white shoe law firms with conservatives and, you know, conservative special interests. But your piece, and I'm going to just um, kind of plug Robert's op-ed that came out recently in Legal Insurrection called The Little Known Lawsuit Lobby. And it's great. You should read it. It kind of explains everything. Um, your piece basically says, no, it's, it's definitely the opposite. Like most of these trial, plaintiff-side trial lawyers are giving a, just a ton of money to Democrat candidates. Is that correct? It is. Um and we can circle back around to class actions here in a minute, but I think what you just mentioned is worth pointing out to people. Like, mm-hmm. um, so here, here's the best example I can give. You're familiar with the website Open Secrets, right? It aggregates federal election spending, and every year, every cycle, they put out the top 20, you know, Republican and Democratic uh, political action committee contributors to candidates. So these are the top 20 PACs that contribute directly. And we're not talking about independent expenditures. We're talking about direct contributions to federal candidates. Okay. So let's take the 2020 cycle and look at the top 20 Democratic PACs in that cycle. Four of those PACs contributed heavily to both parties. And bipartisan gave heavily to Republicans and Democrats. So we'll put them to the side. So we got 16 left. Of those 16... 14 were affiliated with labor unions, right? And that's not a surprise, right? We all understand this. Uh, Democratic, that's a major Democratic constituency. I don't think anybody's surprised that a national labor union is going to contribute heavily to national Democratic candidates. So we got two left. One of those was affiliated with Democratic Representative Adam Schiff. Again, no surprise there. Democratic politicians going to help Democratic friends, right? It's not shocking anybody. It's the last one that I think would come out of left field for people. And that's the, it was number, I don't know, six or seven or eight on the list of top Democratic Party PAC contributors. And it was the American Association for Justice PAC. It was the trial lawyers. I don't think that's why I called it the little known lawsuit lobby, because I don't think that would jump to people's minds, but, but it's right there. Right. And I, and I, I wanted to, and it's been that way. Oh, I'm sorry, Mike. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, you know, my understanding is it's been that way for for a while. That that the trial bar has always been an institutional pillar of the of the Democratic Party, or has for at least as long as I can remember. It has, although I think it's been getting less attention recently than it used to. I think if you go back maybe to the early two thousands, a lot more people were talking about it. I do think it's kind of fallen off the rate, and you wonder if that isn't entirely due to the name change. I have no idea, but you know that was around the time they were getting a lot of attention, and they changed their name, but they're still there. So I'm I'm interested then in something else that you put in your op-ed, and then I'll ask you a little bit about the consumer class action stuff. And it's really just a quote from something that from the guy that I interviewed who works on this issue. Um, but but first, um, your your op-ed basically kind of points out that in return for some of this, um, you know, funding of candidates, um, 
the trial lawyers are getting some pretty interesting um, legislative gifts. And I hate to use that word because that's, you know, that implies something really negative. But let's just say that they're, they're, they're benefiting in some ways. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think there's, I think it's fair to, to look at the contributions and then look at the legislative priorities. I think that's always fair. Um, okay. And the best example I can give you of that is for, comes from last year. I and mean, we all remember the Build Back Better Act, right? The um, House Democrats version of the spending bill. It passed the House. It, it, what we're about to talk about didn't become law. But buried in that bill was a provision that would have allowed trial uh, contingency fee lawyers, so basically plaintiff side trial lawyers, to deduct their expenses in what is usually multi-year litigation in the year that they incur those expenses. And so you might say, well, why does this matter? Well, well, the traditional way of dealing with this in the tax code is at the end of the lawsuit, however, if there's a settlement, however it resolves, those expenses either get reimbursed or they get written off as a bad debt. It all gets settled up at the end. But if you change that and allow the deduction in the year that the expenses were incurred, well, the Wall Street Journal looked at this and said, well, oh my goodness, it's not hard to see how this could incentivize certain attorneys to bring potentially questionable lawsuits and keep them going because it's a bit of a subsidy. And, and they looked at it and said, well, this is going to cost $2.5 billion over 10 years, I think, to the taxpayer. And the way the journal framed it was like, look, this is a direct income transfer to the plaintiff's attorneys who are going to turn around and finance the Democratic uh, politicians. And the words the journal used, which are, uh, which are you know, pretty explicit, but I think hard to argue with, is that they call, they called it a, the definition of a corrupt political bargain. You know, I mean, that's it's hard to say it's hard to say that it doesn't appear to be that. Mm-hmm. And I'll finish up here, Mike, and I'll kick it back over to you. I just want Robert your comments on this. So this was something I wrote for Town Hall a couple months ago, the name of the gentleman I interviewed, his name is O.H. Skinner, and he's the executive director of the Alliance for Consumers. And what he talked about was the Shady Eight, a group of eight elite law firms. Uh, They put out a report um, that they generated at least 15 million in combined political donations from 2017 to 2020 to committees and candidates in the Federal Election Commission tracking system. And he says, this is a direct quote from him, they're feeding a machine that creates the laws, and they're really just a tool of the left. The left is using consumer protection to bully businesses into being liberal by imposing financial pain on businesses to fund their allies. And he's talking about BlackRock, Nike, Twitter, having, you know, the the ESG stuff, which I know you've worked on quite a bit. What do you what's your response to that to that statement? Well, I remember that report. I believe I'm thinking of the same report. And it, it looked at the eight plaintiff side firms and their political contributions. And it found something mm-hmm. like 99% went to Democrats. I, so I do think, I think I ran across, across that report. The consumer class action issue is really interesting. I wrote about it pretty extensively in, um, in the magazine article, in the, in the four-part magazine article. And so we all understand why class actions are important, but the criticism that gets leveled a lot at these is that they're really, you know, if you look at the benefit delivered to class members, because that's what they're supposed to do, and you weigh that against the benefit that many attorneys pocket for filing these in a settlement, and it doesn't match up. You know, you'll have a lot of situations where, um, you know, businesses are paying out, they're, they're putting together large settlement funds, 
But then when you look at how, and, and the attorney's fees are calculated off of those top line settlement funds. But then when you look at how they're distributed, you know, they're not distributed, you know, they can't find the class members or many of the class members don't actually end up getting paid. Or in some cases, you'll have situations where some of the settlement funds are distributed to third party nonprofits. That's another interesting issue, by the way. At- is this is this the question? Is this the question of of C, of CPRE yes. or yes? Is that how it's yeah? Pronounced? That's an interesting one because and you, and again, there's always like so you look at the, why do they do this? Well, there's situations where it's hard to distribute settlement funds, but the attorney and the attorneys get the um, attorneys fees calculated off the top line number. But then, is it really benefiting the supposedly injured class members in a consumer context. And I say supposedly injured because some of these are, are kind of questionable injuries that I, that I put out in my report. But how is it benefiting the class members really to have the donations to a third-party nonprofit? I mean, that's the question that gets raised, particularly when you have situations where some of these nonprofit recipients are aligned with the interests of maybe the, the civil litigators, the plaintiff side trial lawyers. So... That's a that's an area that's worth continuing to look at um, for for just the reasons we we just talked about. So 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 put sim- put simply, the way some of this works is you have a class action settlement that's a big you know big number some some millions, and then a chunk of that goes to the the plaintiff side lawyers. Mm-hmm. A small chunk of that goes to actually paying people who are adjudged or determined to have been injured. And then whatever of the rest of that is left, like just goes to random nonprofit advocacy groups. It can, in some cases, you know, the judges have to approve this, right? So it's not going to be like, there's, there's no default arrangement, but the criticisms I've seen in some of these studies are in practice, it can work that way in, in some cases, um, distributed to third party nonprofits. Maybe the attorneys get, um, millions of dollars in fees while the while the actual class members for one reason or another only get you know thousands in fees or thousands in, in compensation so that's the criticism of consumer class actions and you know they have a important role to play in our civil justice system but i think the 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 goal like the overarching goal for people who look at this is how do we make them work better how do we either legislate or find a way to keep the benefits without having some of these um what seem to be unfair outcomes. And so, so to bring this back to the lawsuit lobby, by the way, the, uh, in 2017, there was a law that was proposed. I think it passed the House and ended up dying in the Senate, but it was called the Fairness in Class Action Litigation Act. And I'm, I'm not convinced everything that was in that bill was necessarily the best idea, but I do think it was after some, some good things. And one of those things that I think sounds like common sense to a lot of people who hear it would be tying attorney's fees specifically to the benefit delivered to class members, right? So you're not going to have any more of this top line number stuff, third party distribution stuff, you know, actual uh, tied to the benefit delivered to class members. And the the AAJ and, and some of the plaintiff's side interests, the lawsuit lobby came out really strongly against this. And, you know, I'm just not sure how it's going to get anywhere with that sort of opposition. So um, I hope I'm not stepping on you here, Mike. Um, I can't. I can't see you very well right now. Let me put you back on. So, okay, there we go. <laughs> well, my question then is, what? Just in a, if you could, if you could sort of um, in a sentence, tell us why this kind of uh, imbalance 
is uh, is a negative, a net negative? Um, is it just because you've got attorneys who are actually working in their own self interest rather than the interests of the the plaintiffs? Is it because it's an imbalance in the political spectrum? Um, what's the what's the real negative? Because clearly there is one here, and um, there's a lot of sort of um, there's a lot of things I think you can sort of point at and identify as maybe not great. But what's the net negative? That's a good question. I think that gets to the crux of what the real issue to be talking about here is. Self-interest isn't isn't a bad thing. I mean, our, our whole society and political system operate on on self-interest. It's every profession has the right to promote their own professional interest. In some respects, we need that. I mean, we need special interest to show us what the unforeseen consequences of legislation might be. I mean, that's a good thing. So we're not criticizing. I'm not criticizing the professional interest in the promotion of it. But I do think that, you know, we're not talking about the gambling industry lobby. We're not talking about the beer and wine industry lobby here. We're talking about the lawsuit lobby. This We all have an interest in our civil justice system. It's a little bit different. And I think that is why it's important to subject this to just a little bit more scrutiny and say, well, look, I recognize your interest. you've got every right in the world to promote your professional interest, but I have every right in the world to look at the interest of the civil justice system. And I think that's where the conversation here needs to be had. And I think that's why it's worth, worth talking about this. So pushing on that, pushing on that uh, a little bit, um, you know, how, how would, you know, would you suggest that, uh, you know, that, that people look at how the, the sort of things that the lawsuit lobby is advocating for? I think, I think the proper way to look at it is, is to look at how to make these things work better. Like if we look at contingency fee arrangements, we're not, there's a reason those exist. They, they have a good, they have a good role to play, but we need to, we need to look at how to make them function better for plaintiffs. You look at class actions, they have a role to play. It's important. We just need to look at how to make them function better for plaintiffs. Same thing with multi-district litigation, all the things we talk about in the magazine article, it's about finding ways to reform. And I worry, I think the worry of people who look at this would be that when you have a dedicated lobby that's opposed to all of these reforms, it's hard to get anything really done to, to tweak these issues that are obvious issues that are clearly people are raising these. And that's what I worry about with um, that. E- even if the political will is there, it's going to be difficult to actually see it get done. So, so put, put simply, you know, we have the civil justice system because there are, you know, people who get hurt by things that happen in the world. Um, but the purpose of it isn't just to, you know, get big fees for lawyers. It's to compensate the people who were hurt. And that maybe, and in part, thanks to the work of the lawsuit lobby, that that's gotten out of balance and that we need to go back to the sort of first principle of why we have a civil justice system, period. Right. And that's the whole, that, that's the crux of the debate around tort reform, isn't it? You know, where, where do we, you know, what balance to strike between vindicating the rights of folks who, who need it and need attorneys to help them do it and, and protecting the rights of defendants who might be subjected to lawsuits that might not necessarily be vindicating rights in every case. So I think that's the, that's the tricky balance to strike. And 
that's the one that that's that's the debate implicated in this whole in this whole in this whole question here. Well, Robert, uh, before we let everybody go, uh, is there anything else that you'd like uh, our listeners to know about? Yeah, just um, you know, we have the four uh, four part series of the magazine, the lawsuit lobby magazine article on our website. We've got the op ed folks can look at, and then we have obviously our and that 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 will be that will be that that will be in today's show notes. The, I will I will include uh, both your four part magazine piece and the legal instruction op ed. That sounds great. All right. Well, thanks again to my colleagues Sarah Lee and Robert Stilson for joining us. Robert's four part series for CapitalResearch.org on the lawsuit lobby will be included in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all.